Well, I thank you all for letting me get behind the pulpit a little early. I guess you know we're coming back at 3 o'clock, so I promise I should be done by quarter till 3. Oh, don't be scared, please. I was always told, stand up, speak up, shut up, and sit down. So uh, that's pretty much what I try to go by. Every now and then I can be long-winded, but I'm not going to do that today. Turn your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 16 for our thoughts this morning. Acts chapter 16. And when you get there, go ahead and stand, if you will. Acts chapter 22, we're going to begin with verse 20. Acts chapter 16 and verse 22. The word of God declares, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer, Keep them safely. Who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately of all the, door, all the doors were opened. And everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time you've given us. Be here in your house. We pray, Lord, that you'll just bless the service. May everything said and done honor and glorify you. Lord, give me the words to say as I break the bread of life. Let me preach with boldness and authority those things, Lord, that I've studied and you've laid upon my heart to speak. And, Lord, I just pray hearts and ears will be opened this morning as I speak from your holy word. Lord, if there's one amongst us that knows not Christ and the free pardon of sin, or one that needs to come for whatever the reason, Lord, may they have liberty to do so. Be with our prayer requests. Be with those it's our duty to pray for. And again, Lord, we love you and we praise you. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus, our Savior. For it's in his name we ask these things this morning. Amen. Please be seated. The text we've just read is about an old pagan jailer who 
ask a question. And I believe the question that he asked is probably the most important question that has ever been asked in all of the world. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And this morning I want you to sit there and ask yourself that question in your own heart. Do you know what it takes to be saved? Because there's a lot of folks out there that don't quite get it. Now, understand, there's lots of questions in the world. You, I hear people talking all the time. They're always questioning, when is the economy going to pick up? What are we going to do about Iran and its nuclear capacity? What are we going to do? In this country, we're letting people come across the border. Are there terrorists coming in? Are we going to be attacked at some point, at some time? There's always questions. And even though those questions may seem important to us, the most important question that needs to be asked is what took place when this jailer asked Paul, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And that's a question from all these generations, that is a question that can only be answered, excuse me, by us individually, just like the jailer. Now, understand, the jailer could have asked a lot of questions when that earthquake came, and the doors spring open. He could have asked, where's my prisoners? He could have asked, who am I going to blame for this? But no, what did he ask? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So that's what I want us to look at for a few minutes this morning because it is an important question. Amen? There's so many out there. They're trying to answer it, but they have the wrong answers to that question. So the best of my ability, I'm going to try to share the answers with you this morning. Amen? So is everybody there? Notice what it says. It says that, and the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And of course, we're talking about Paul and Silas there in Philippi. And, you know, here's the funny thing. When I say funny, I don't mean ha-ha. Here's the thing. They had this damsel that was possessed that followed Paul and Silas. And you see, there was a fellow out there using this damsel to make money for him. Well, Apostle Paul got tired of her coming around and following him, so he just says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, come out of her. Well, guess what? She was delivered from that evil spirit, and the man that she worked for was angry. He went to the magistrate's, and the magistrates were angry, and they threw them in jail. And I want you to understand, the jail that they were in wasn't a jail like a country club, okay? They, they didn't have access to computers. They didn't have access to books and, and things like that. You see, those jails were dirty, they were murky, and by the way, they were holes, basically, dug into the ground, and when you were put into that hole, believe me, you didn't want to be there. Now think about this, and I'm not trying to be disgusting. I'm not trying to gross anyone out. 
But when you were there, listen, you used the restroom there. There wasn't porta potties in those days. So it was nasty. It was disgusting. But understand, those men of God, yes, they were beaten. Yes, they were cast into prison. The Bible says they were thrust. And by the word, by the way, that word means literally they were tossed down into the hole without any concern of where they fell. Didn't matter if it hurt them or not. They were thrust in. But listen to me. Here it's midnight and Paul and Silas are singing and praying and praising God. I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you would be willing to be singing and praying and praising God if you was in the same shoes? Say, preacher, I don't know if I could do that. Well, you know what? I appreciate your honesty because I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to agree. I don't know if I would just be going, hey, Lord, praise the Lord. I've been beat. You've got me in here in my own filth. And hey, I don't know if I would be able to say, praise God. But they did. And it impressed all the soldiers. Now, I want us to jump down to verse 27 because I want us to look at the reason for this question that the jailer asked. Look at what verse 27 says. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had Fled. You say, well, Brother John, now I understand. Y'all come on in, preacher. It's good to see you, Sister Barbara. Praise the Lord. Brother Alonzo and Sister Barbara said, come on in. I'll give you a second to get to your pew. And brother, we're in Acts chapter 16. No, brother. Good to see you. I've come from a long way. Not like you're around the corner. We appreciate you being here. Anyways, notice again, and the keeper of the prison awakening out of sleep and seeing the prison doors opened, he drew, drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Well, the reason the question was asked was, one, it was out of fear. Okay, you see back then, it was his responsibility to keep the prisoners and if any escaped, it was his life. They were going to execute him if he lost one single prisoner. So you see, it was out of fear that he went to them. But understand something. When it comes to coming to Jesus, there's many people that come to Jesus for different reasons. And God uses it to draw them to him. I mean, there's some people that don't want to go to hell, so they get saved because they want to be delivered from that awful place for all eternity. But then there's others that hear about just the preaching of the cross and what Jesus did, and it stirs their heart, and they come for that reason. 
What I'm trying to say is it doesn't matter what gets you to Jesus. Thank God that you come. Amen. I'll be the first to tell you I was like this old boy. I didn't want to go to hell. You say, well, Brother John, do you really believe there's such a place? If there's a heaven, I assure you there's a hell. And Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven. And, you know, that was a motivating factor. Because I knew I was a sinner. Knew there was a God. I knew I was going to give an account to God someday. And my biggest fear was I was going to die without Christ and go, go to hell. That was my motivation for coming to him. Now listen to me. I sure am glad I did. And that's where this jailer was. He knew by Roman law, those doors swung open. If one prisoner stepped out and escaped, it was his life. So the reason he asked the question was, again, out of fear. But also, the reason the question was asked was also by faith. You say, why do you say that? He was just trying to save his own neck. That's why he fell at the feet of Paul in silence. No, no, no. Listen, what does the Bible say? It says that Paul and Silas at midnight were singing praises under God and praying, no doubt, everybody in the prison the prisoners and even that old jailer as he laid his head on the pillow to sleep heard that. And while he was there, believe me, I'm sure not one time before this had he really even given a thought about God because he was a pagan. But as the Holy Spirit through the praises and the prayer of Paul and Silas, it began to touch his heart and open his eyes. In fact, it began to awaken him spiritually. And folks, that's what we call conviction. And as he laid there, the Lord began to deal with his heart. I'll ask you this morning, how many of you can attest to having your heart dealt with by the Holy Spirit? In fact, that's the whole reason God gave us the Comforter, was for that very reason. You see, begin to deal with his heart about his sin. It began to deal with his heart about eternity in hell. And it began to deal with his heart concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said, conviction's not fun. I've been there. My knuckles used to stay white as I gripped the pew. I was under conviction so many times. I thank God he didn't just write me off because I would hang on and I'd say, oh, if he'll just end the invitation, I'll be the first one out the door. And a lot of times I did that. But he kept dealing with my heart. And finally, praise God, I succumbed 
When I say succumbed, I mean I finally, Lord, I can't do it anymore. I'm yours. So, it was out of faith. Again, that's the reason the question serves. What must I do to be saved? And then look at the response. Look at verse 30. And it says, and brought them out and said, talking about Paul and Silas, the greatest question ever asked, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Notice it involved a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. The Lord Jesus Christ. Understand, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is the only way. (coughs) Understand, there's lots of religions out there. And some of those religions pull people in. They just naturally are attracted to it. But understand me and understand me well this morning. It may seem narrow-minded to man to say Jesus is the only way. But listen to me. Jesus is the only way. Not belonging to a church. Church membership never saved anybody. Not good works. Listen, you can be good from this day forward till the Lord either takes you in death or comes back to set up his earthly throne during the millennial. And guess what? Those works will not get you there. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, you're going to die lost and you're going to go to hell. Now, a lot of folks don't like to hear that, but that's the truth. I will also remind you, it is Jesus who left the portals of heaven and came down and was born in the form of a man. It was Jesus during his life here on earth (coughs) that he lived a perfect, sinless life And then went and died on the cross for you and I. It was Jesus that arose after the third day. It was Jesus that ascended to his Father. And he is on the right hand of the Father right now as I speak to you this morning. It was Jesus whose blood that was shed is what washes away our sins And it will be Jesus when he returns to take us that are his children home to be with him. Jesus Christ. Now, notice. He's the person, but it also involved a plan. Notice what the scriptures say. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Look at verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, the plan is we accept Jesus by faith. Believe. <coughs> the Word of God declares that we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, we're saved by believing. Faith. Now, the Bible says faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Understand that word belief. There's lots of folks out there that have a head knowledge. You see, they have a head knowledge about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus of the Bible. You see, it's easy to have a historical belief because a historical belief is about the things of the Bible. But true belief is about the Christ of the Bible. Amen? A lot of folks out there. Well, I'll give you an example. Isn't it amazing? We'll be driving down the road and we got to go across the river and there's a bridge. Do we stop before we go across the bridge and look at a sign and say, well, it was built in such and such. And this is the material they used. And, oh, this will hold so much weight. Do we do that? Do we read signs? No, by faith we just go across the thing, not even give it any thought. Because we rely on, hey, that bridge is going to hold us. But you know what's amazing to me? God tells us what it takes to go to heaven. God tells us that if you're going to be accepted by me, then you must accept my son as your savior. And you know what? We'll believe a bridge. We'll believe a sign. But when it comes to what God says concerning salvation, oh, that's just too hard to believe. What a shame. Kind of like the old missionary to Africa. And... He was translating the Bible into their native tongue. He was in John. <coughs> and he got to John 3.16, where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth, and that word believeth, stumped him. For weeks he tried to figure out, oh, what can I use for believeth in this native tongue? And he was stumped. And then one day, this native come running up the path to his house. And when he got to his house, he jumped on the porch and just plopped in the chair. And he goes, whoo. He goes, it sure does feel good to place all of my weight in this chair. And then the light went off. That's the word. You see, true faith in Jesus is placing all our weight on him. That's what true faith is. And that's what Paul and Silas told the jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I'll give you another example. Back in the old days, people that lived on the second story a lot of times would buy an old rope ladder. And they'd hang on to that old rope ladder. 
in case there was a fire. Because it's the second story. And they usually, they usually, let's see if I can do that, thought that, well, the rope should hold me, the rungs on it should hold me. But they would never test it. They were just depending on it holding them when they needed to use it. Folks, there's lots of people out there, same thing. Jesus is the answer. And people in their head think that, you know what, I think he might be able. But unless you toss that rope ladder out and get on there yourself to see if it's going to hold, it's of no use to you because... You don't know if it's going to hold you or not. But I can assure you when it comes to Christ, if you'll truly believe and accept him, he will again hold you. You see, when he saves, he doesn't just save until you stub your toe, until he gets mad at you because you messed up. No, he saves to the uttermost. Amen. So here's the promise. Again, look at the verse. <clears throat> Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. <laughs> that word saved. I love being saved. You know what that word means? To be delivered from any harm. Jesus came to deliver us from the judgment of God, the wrath of God. And he promises if you will exercise faith in him, he will save you. You will never ever have to worry about going to hell. Because you have his promise. He that cometh <coughs> unto me, I will in no wise cast away. You see, I'm saved to the uttermost. There's nothing that can remove me out of the Lord's hand. And plus, there's nothing that can remove me out of the Father's hand either. All Jesus said to the Father, all that you have given me, I have lost nothing. He's never lost one of his sheep. Uh, I'll take his word. I'll trust him. Amen. So, and let's look at the result of the question. Look at verse 34. <clears throat> and when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. You say, Brother John, you mean to tell me that old pagan jailer was saved just by the simple act of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Absolutely. He was saved. You say, well, what makes you think so? Well, first of all, he takes him to his house. Now remember, verse 24 says, he thrust them into the inner prison. He just threw them in, care less about them. And now we find him at his house with them, and he's washing their stripes. And not only that, the Bible says that he was also baptized, identifying himself as a believer. He was saved, he was baptized, and when Paul and Silas shared the word of God with his family, they also followed by inviting Christ into their heart and being baptized. And now, here, he is washing their stripes, and he also is feeding them from his table. Tell me, there's not a change when you come to Christ. There's always a change. You've not yet changed. Maybe you've went through the motions. You've made a false profession of faith. You've prayed some prayer and you say, well, it doesn't work for me. Check your heart. Chances are you're not saved because I'm going to tell you, when you come to the Lord, you will change. Now, I want to tell you, through time, we become more and more like the Lord, but he will change you. It's immediate. What I mean is, guess what? I no longer have a desire for what I used to do. I want to be a vessel in his hand for his glory. We want to do the things that please the Lord. But we still are sinners. Don't get the big head and say, I'm super Christian and boy, I'm perfect and Hold your nose down at others because, listen, if it wasn't for the grace of God and for the sacrifice of our Lord, where would we be? We tend to look at other people and say, boy, I'm glad I'm not like that person. Well, who are you kidding? Before you met the Savior, you were just like him. Oh, no, I never drank. Yeah, but maybe you cussed, maybe you gambled, maybe you got into pornography, maybe you did this or that. And when God sees sin, it's all the same to him. We're just sinners. But because of God's great love for us, he made a way that we could be forgiven and reconciled to him through sacrifice and the atonement of his son. Notice, he's washing the stripes. And I, I can imagine as he washes the stripes and as he breaks bread with them, he goes, you know, Paul and Silas, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you. When y'all were singing at midnight, he says, I thought y'all had lost your mind. Y'all are the craziest people I ever saw. But now, I can personally say, I know who you were singing about. 
You see, that's what Christ does for a lost sinner. You see, he takes someone that is dead and gives them life. He takes someone that is miserable and gives them joy. He takes someone that's defeated and gives them victory. You see, that's what a relationship with Christ will do. So I will ask you one more time this question. What have you done to be saved? Don't worry about this old world. Don't worry about the shape of the economy or any of that. The question you need to ask yourself this morning is, what must I do to be saved? Because that's the only question that matters. And let me just say this morning, eternity, eternity hinges on how you answer that question. So if you're under the sound of my voice and you don't know for sure if you're saved or not, I urge you to come. We can get that settled. If you're under the sound of my voice and you know you've never invited Christ into your heart, the Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off because we're not guaranteed another day. Not guaranteed another opportunity. <clears throat> if you're here this morning and you've been saved, but, you know, maybe you've kind of, drifted from the Lord and his service. You've kind of grown cold and indifferent. You can also come and get that settled today. Here's the question. One more time. Would you stand with me, please?